I'm never 100% sure if it's actually time for me to come up here, so I'm a little nervous about that. I have, I have come up at the wrong time before and been sent back. That was embarrassing. Uh, so be careful with that, folks. Uh, um, under the circumstances, uh, I, I did decide last night to make my lesson a little bit shorter than it otherwise would have been, so I've taken out some of the elements of it and I just hope it still makes sense. Uh, so, so we'll see. You can let, let me know at the end of it. We'll talk about friendship a little bit today uh, and the importance of realizing when it's necessary for us to kind of gravitate away from certain kinds of friends and gravitate toward our Christian friends and to make sure that the overwhelming majority of our friends, true friends, are like-minded uh, in Christ. I learned my lessons the hard way. Uh, perhaps some of you have also. Uh, but I used to work in a place, and I'll, I'll deliberately not be too specific. I used to work in a place where a very tight-knit group of folks that spent a, long, a lot of time together uh, Families knew each other and spent time together and uh, participated in almost all of our activities together. Um, and in that environment, uh, much like a family, like an extended family. But uh, uh, as, as attrition took some of the folks out and then some more folks came in, kind of got a bad element where uh, the, some of the folks knowing where I stood on things spiritually uh, gave me a little bit of a hard time about it. And, and I know that you've experienced that too. So there were, were pranks uh, that were a little bit on the vulgar side sometimes. There were uh, situations where I would be teased for not participating in the activities that they will all get together and go do. Uh, and this group of folks, uh, uh, male and female, they take their spouses with them and they, they really enjoyed a place called Mad Myrna's where uh, uh, where men dressed up like women and danced around uh, and entertained um, and, and they would come back, even one fellow that boasted of being an ordained minister in a Protestant denomination would go together and take their families to a place called Hooters that used to be over on Tudor and, uh, and so of course I would abstain from participating with these these little field trips and and other things that that I won't mention here um, I had the good sense not to ever laugh at any of the vulgarity that uh, the pranks or any of the things that they considered to be humorous that was another point at, uh, of, uh, of uh, an opportunity to kind of give me a hard time um, and then ultimately I left that company and uh, went to work elsewhere where and most of us did uh, quite a few stayed in town and uh, and would meet together usually on a, about a monthly basis uh, year after year after we had left that company and get together for a lunch and we had gotten together for a lunch right before Christmas and this was 10 or 12 years ago, I get my years mixed up, but it's been about a dozen years ago, it seems like. And uh, when, when I'm in the company of family or friends, people I trust, 
Uh, I can't carry my wallet in my back pocket because it's too thick and it makes me sit like that and get a bad back and everything. So, um, and so I, I'll leave my wallet, and my cell phone, sitting on the table with trusted friends, and uh, and so go off to the restroom and came back a little bit, and then after that uh, that luncheon, it was kind of a Christmas celebration for us. Um, one of the guys was good enough to let me know that another guy thought it would be hilarious to download something onto my phone, which since then I've learned how to lock it. Thank you, Melissa. Um, but this was a dozen years ago, you know. I don't think very many folks were locking their phone back then. But uh, so they downloaded something on my phone that was uh, not only vulgar, but reprehensible. Uh, and, and one fella was good-hearted enough to let me know they had done that. And that's when I terminated that relationship and stopped meeting with those folks and had just had enough. The sad part is it took me way too long to do that. As a Christian who should have known better. And actually, by way of confession, I did know better. I just kept hanging on. And perhaps I justified that by telling myself that you know, well, I'm, I'm the right kind of influence on them. Uh, ultimately, I can save some of these people. They had all been invited to Bible studies over the year. They had all been invited to worship with us and to come to gospel meetings and things we do with this congregation. Um, only once can I ever mem- remember one of them accepting and, and actually coming in to visit us once. But uh, for the rest of them, uh, uh, wouldn't do that. And, uh, and I just refused to kick the dust off my feet until that happened and uh uh it it was it was so upsetting to me and so reprehensible that uh that i for a long time considered calling the police uh i I think that could be illegal what they did uh but but i was hurt uh, and i still feel hurt by that and so i'm gonna start off in first corinthians 15 and 33 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, where it says, Do not be deceived, like I was, basically deceiving myself. Evil company corrupts good habits. Uh, and I, I think there are other versions that say evil companions corrupt good morals. Uh, equally true, right? Uh, parallel stuff there. But awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. And I feel that. I feel, uh, when I reflect back on that, I I feel shame for maintaining those close relationships for as long as I did um, under false pretenses, basically. So that, that, uh, uh, here where it's given in Scripture, at that time it was a quote from a Greek comedy called Theus written by the Greek poet Menander whose writings of Corinthians Paul knew that they would have been familiar with. So the application of the quote is that those who are teaching that there is no resurrection, and we're given that uh, preceding this up in verse 12, uh, folks were teaching that there was no resurrection, are the bad company being referred to here. And they are corrupting the good morals of those who hold the correct doctrine, that there indeed was a resurrection. And before we go farther and uh, 
the body of the lesson. Let's, let's pause for a moment and go to our Father in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to be here and thankful for um, the fact that you've uh, situated things to enable our coming together. Uh, Father, we're, we're so thankful. We, we put our trust in you. We're thankful, Father, for the relationships that we have with one another as your children, the saved in Christ. And we realize, Father, that, that our relationships with one another and the body of Christ are very special in a separate category from relationships that we can have with anyone outside the body of Christ. These relationships are more dear to us, but in keeping with your will, Father, we, we recognize that it is your will that all people be saved, that every soul is brought to you and saved, and we pray that you'll give us the courage uh, as you've not given us the spirit of timidity but give us the courage Father uh, help us to recognize that, that we, we have the courage we just need to exercise it to uh, tell the world about you and to share the gospel the good news and Father as we uh, go through this lesson we pray that you'll give us attentive hearts uh, uh, to look for how we can apply this to our own lives uh, to please you in every way and thank you most of all for your son and it's in his name amen probably shouldn't be drinking this if I leave suddenly sit tight sing some songs just gonna run over to regional and use the restroom but we're we are mature enough to recognize that restrooms are a luxury not a necessity until you have to go so I, I want to suggest to you it, this isn't stated uh, uh, overtly or, or uh, expressly in scripture but I want to suggest to you that Zephaniah was a peer a companion of King Josiah and let's, uh, let's go back to Second Chronicles and uh, start in verse 29 this is uh, most of what I cut a whole lot out of. I was going to spend more time here in Chronicles going through the kings, uh, kind of highlighting which ones uh, pleased God and which ones didn't. Because each one of the, their reigns, the, uh, the depiction of their reigns, start off by telling us that, uh, you know, and in, in here in uh, 29, where it starts off with Hezekiah, it says, uh, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and his he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And here it is. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So I'm going to skip a bunch of the stuff that I planned on saying there about Hezekiah, uh, hoping that uh, you're familiar with him. Uh, but basically that, that summarizes it. You know, and when you go to the, the end of the uh, passages that cover Hezekiah's reign, uh, you see in chapter 32, beginning with verse 32, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper tombs 
of the sons of David and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. And then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. It starts off chapter 33 saying Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations who the Lord has cast out before the children of Israel. Um, I, I want to encourage you to, to go through uh, uh, the kings and the chronicles and look at each one of the kings and whether or not they were depicted as doing what was right in the sight of the Lord or not having done so and look at why and then take what they had done and bring that into your life to examine your life and to examine us as a church. How might we uh, be following some of, some of the wrong kind of examples there? Uh, but yeah, use that for self-examination. But then, you know, it goes on after Manasseh uh, to Ammon. There are only, uh, in my Bible, there are only two very brief paragraphs about Ammon. Uh, and starts there in chapter 33, verse 21, where it says, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. And Ammon sacrificed to the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them, and he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. Then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son, Josiah, king in his place. So not a whole lot about Ammon, other than the fact that he's a bad guy, he got killed, and he was the father of Josiah. So now let's look at Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, when he was still young, which would have made him 16 years old, so think about our 16-year-olds for a moment, he began to seek the God of his father David. And then Josiah was a good guy. And so I'm going to go back uh, forward to um, someone keeps uh, moving my minor prophets around in my Bible, but I found her Zephaniah right after Habakkuk. And then you look at the, the very beginning of chapter 1 in the book of Zephaniah, where it says, The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. So here in, in, at the beginning of this, we're given Zephaniah's royal pedigree. Uh, and his connection uh, going back uh, three generations to King Hezekiah. But now, Zephaniah is prophesying in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. And you think about those kings as you go through Kings and Chronicles, and you have, it alternates almost, good king, bad king. 
and it'll go good king, good king, bad king, right? Good king. But and and uh, for the most part, you're looking at at generations of family, you know, where where it's the son, each one is the son of, of you know. Uh, and so, how does that happen? And uh, so that that's what I want to suggest to you that. Uh, Zephaniah was a peer and a contemporary of Josiah. And when you think about it, the prophets prophesied uh, in the streets, they prophesied to the people, and they certainly prophesied to the leaders of God's people, the king, and uh, having royal descent himself uh, with his religious pedigree, Zephaniah would have prophesied in the royal courts. So what we want to think about is his influence uh, on King Josiah. When you go back to Second Chronicles and you read about uh, the, the faithful service of Josiah for God's people and toward God. But we want to think about how friends, the friends that we choose, the friends that we end up with make such a difference in our lives. So think back to your earlier years. Remembering those times when you walked with God and the times that you didn't. It was often directly related to your choice of friends. And your decision to walk with God was changed when you gave up friends that kept you from it and took on friends who encouraged that life in Christ. King Josiah was no different than any of our young people today with certain choice individuals to influence and to impact their lives, our young people. So how does all of this relate to us today, and how do we apply this? One person in a, spiritual, a spiritually uh, strategic spot, one influence in a spiritually strategic spot can do more than a thousand who are not at all concerned with the eternal salvation of the soul. And I think about some of the people that, uh, that I have chosen as friends to influence me. <clears throat> in my younger years, in the, the, the times that I've met for breakfast at uh, Elmer's and places like that with men like Sam Harden and Sam Robinson and Stan Godso and John Kaufman, I could give you a very long list um, of men who are now part of that great cloud of witnesses. There are people whose influence will help you to be more pleasing to God. And there are those whose influence will take your focus off of pleasing God. So let's see how Paul draws this distinction. We'll start in Philippians chapter 3 and look at 17 through 20. Brethren, join in following my example. Not me, this is Paul, right? Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So Paul draws a distinction for us there to help us choose our friends, to help us to know what kind of people we should have and reserve our special relationships for. And look around, they're sitting right in here with you. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Well, where Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. So first of all, imitate Paul. Going back to Philippians three seventeen through 20, take note of those who are walking in the light with God and follow their example. Ultimately, we all follow the example of Christ, but if any of you are indeed following that example, then I'm going to follow your example, right? Um, we're called to be circumspect, not to strive to be different from one another, but to be alike in as many ways as we can. In Proverbs 13 and verse 20, I really like this. Proverbs 13 and 20. Is that the first bell? Okay. In Proverbs 13 verse 20 it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's good advice coming out of Proverbs right there. So what does your circle of friends look like? And more importantly, like King Josiah, what do our, the circle of friends that our young people have look like? Since we know that our choice of friends has tremendous influence and a tremendous impact on us, what kind of influence are you being influenced by? with your time so I look at it as uh, there are two extremes being two extremes and you guys know I like these continuums where you've got kind of like an arrow pointing in two directions and in one direction you have uh, uh, where you're examining the friends that influence your life you you can either go to one extreme on this side and it would be no Christians at all right Uh, or the extreme on this end would be all Christians which we don't want either and I'll explain why in a second it's a great commission So uh, with, uh, we'll call these strategies, right, since we want to apply these things to our lives. So the first strategy was the, the, the extreme that is all Christians or just Christians. I want to surround myself with Christians and not interact with any other people. So, so what would that look like? Um, so you, you, have a, you go through Christian uh, Bible class and Christian uh, nursery and then Christian preschool and then Christian homeschool or Christian school, private school, Christian college, uh, missionary or ministry, and uh, and then you you just you don't interact with anyone outside of the body of Christ. Might consider that to be a little too sheltered, so that's why I call that an extreme. And then so on the other extreme, we'll call this the second strategy, since we're interested in applying these things to our lives and teaching our young people to do so and making sure they do, it would be very few Christians. So what would that look like? 
no Bible class or very little attendance of Bible class as a child. The family has little to no Christian fellowship. Don't participate in the activities of the church, Christian potlucks, uh, Christian meals that we have together, uh, entertaining Christians in your home, uh, the vacation Bible school, uh, and all the, the wonderful Christian activities that God has blessed us to put together in this congregation. Uh, no participation in the youth group. One of the saddest lacks of participation that I can think of. And so we, we turn to Proverbs 22 and 6, one that we're all very familiar with. One that I've heard many good preachers attempt to explain away. That doesn't actually mean what it says. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train up a child in the way he should go. Christians were called followers of the way, and I think the way seems obvious in context here. And uh, I won't, uh, I planned on going through each of them, but I'm not for the sake of time, but six scriptures, uh, passages in the book of Acts that, that emphasize the way, that way that we are to bring up a child. Uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 2, Acts chapter 19, verse 9 and 23, Acts chapter 22 and verse 4, and Acts chapter 24, verses 14 and 22. So for those of the first strategy, the first extreme that we talk about, uh, where it's... Uh, you associate with all Christians or only Christians. Surround yourself with just Christians. We have to look at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 through 20, which we refer to as a great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I shouldn't let you folks even see me drink that. It might trigger something like that thing over there almost did in verse 18 and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and here's the commission go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age. And then of course we're familiar with John three sixteen where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But don't put that out of context and say that God loved the world so everyone's saved, right? Not the case. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that they might be saved, so that they could be saved. There are some things that he uh, requires of us in order to be saved. So that's why he wants us to go in among them and teach them the gospel. But that's our relationship with them. That defines our relationship with the world that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son that we are commissioned by Christ to teach them the gospel, to bring them to Christ, to lead them to Christ. 
So every human being is in one of two spiritual realms. Every human being who has ever been born on earth uh, since the first century, I don't know what we call it, the zero century, since the death of Christ, and be more specific. You're in one of two realms. You are either in the world or you are a baptized believer and you are walking in the light and you are in the church. You are either in the world or in the church. So how do we make this change? First of all, I want to emphasize the fact that um, God... didn't have Jesus commission these disciples until they had been well trained until they had reached the point in their spiritual walk where they were capable of guarding their hearts like Psalm 119 11, 7, uh, Psalm 19, 119 verse 11 says thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee If you don't have God's word hidden in your heart, don't go out and try to save the world. You've got to start, start with putting God's word into your heart first, and then you'll be sufficiently equipped to go and teach others and bring them to Christ. You have to be prepared for that. That's why we have Bible classes, Bible studies, teaching, preaching, Opportunities to come here and learn together and associate with one another and to rub off on each other. It may be difficult as a parent with older children to make these changes, especially the ones where you're going to make a shift in, uh, in the influence uh, of friends upon your life, where you're going to gravitate away from people that do not bring you closer to God and gravitate toward more people who do. Those can be very difficult steps to take as a, a child or as a teenager. So as a parent, I, I don't know how that would work. I guess you'd sit down as a family and repent. Repent in front of your children and tell them that you're very sorry that you hadn't realized these things sooner and that you hadn't acted upon these things sooner. And tell them that you're going to make some changes and you want to make these changes as a family and be more actively involved in your Christian family and be surround, surround yourself with the right kinds of friends for this will please God. Then and only then will we be equipped to share the gospel and go seek and save the lost as uh, Jesus has commissioned us. And so that's the lesson for today. The lesson is yours. I uh, hope that... Uh, that uh, I always hope that when I have an opportunity to talk like this, that I leave you with more questions than answers, because I'm, I, I may teach sometimes, but I am certainly more of a student than I am a teacher. And, uh, and I hope that has left you with enough questions on your mind to cause you uh, to go dig deeper uh, and to prove whether these things are so. Search the scriptures daily uh, to verify what I've said. And let me know if you find anything that you couldn't verify and we'll talk about it Uh, I'm certainly always in need of correction and I welcome that so we start by repenting ourselves if that becomes necessary and and sometimes even publicly to ask for the prayers of the congregation to help us in the decision we make to go in the right direction 
And this is the time for you to do that as we stand and sing.